0: What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has been tested and refined through years of experience and wisdom that has propelled Skybox Sports Picks to the top of the industry. Go check these guys out. You know what they are by this point. They are the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're my friends. I wouldn't steer you the wrong way. These guys profited all through March Go check them out at skyboxsportspicks.com. They have a package for you. Whether it's a daily pass, maybe you want to get it on some day MLB action, do a little degenerateness uh, while you're at work. Who's to say? I don't know. I'm not judging. But at the very least, go check out the day pass. It's 10 bucks. If you use the promo code RIPPY, you get 20% off. Not a math guy, but that makes it 8 bucks, which is basically the juice on any bet you're going to take anyway, and try the picks out for the day. I would recommend going the full season. You can buy season-long passes or a year-long membership to any sport. You can do four-week trials. You can do week trials. Whatever kind of fits your price range and whatever you're looking to do or test it out, Skybox has the package for you, and I promise they're going to lead you to profit. They're crushing it on NASCAR right now. Their NASCAR, I'm going to try to get their NASCAR guy on the podcast and kind of explain his, uh, his method behind his madness about, without giving too many secrets out. But they're transitioning into baseball before, uh, before they really ramp it up during football season. So I would encourage you to take advantage of this NBA playoffs coming around the corner. We just cleaned up March Madness. Why in the world would you stop profiting now? Go check my guys out at skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast. I'll see you by LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. Greg's the man; he's got it going on. I've still got the same ten dollars Prime Strip deal going for you guys in the newsletter if you're a subscriber. We'll have something towards the end of the week. Greg's been a little busy; hadn't had the chance to talk to him this week, but I promise we'll have something in the works towards the end of the week. I think I'm going to have him back on for Grill Corner on Friday. That played well last time, but go check him out. LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. He's always getting all kinds of dank stuff in. Great food. He's got the plate lunches back. You know the drill at LB's if you've listened to this podcast at all. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Craig's awesome. I'm proud to be a partner with him. Go check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We've got a packed show today. We've uh, Colin and I, what started as I thought was going to be one cat podcast, and you'll hear me off the top mention that I'm having Michael Borky on. I was just too lazy to edit that out. I'm splitting it into two podcasts. What happened was Colin and I were originally going to record – an emergency podcast once the news on Elko got out. And as tends to happen is every time Colin and I uh, get together talking baseball, it tends to bleed into a bunch of other stuff. And I just left it in there. So we're going to do that podcast on its own. It lasted about an hour, but Borky and I had a wonderful conversation about sports media in general, Ole Miss and Mississippi state the last year, me leaving radio, him staying in radio. Um, I've always enjoyed talking to Borky and we talked for almost an hour and 45 minutes about, all kinds of topics that'll suit Mississippi State, Ole Miss fans, the like. You you know the drill. If, if you listen to the old Rebel Report, Borky and I always had a great time talking, but I didn't want to get it lost in a three-hour podcast because, I mean, hell, my girlfriend doesn't even want to listen to me talk for three hours. Why would y'all willingly? So I'm giving you a bonus podcast that I'll drop either Wednesday night, Thursday morning, of Michael Borky and I discussing all topics, Mississippi sports the last year or so, handling the pandemic, kind of our partnership on radio, it ending them going to a three-man show. Just Borky's always got a bunch of smart ideas. Go check out his YouTube, but we will have that podcast up for you tonight. So I didn't want to confuse you off the top. This started off as an emergency segment with Colin, but I'm just letting it live as our own podcast. So how do you replace Tim Elko? I'm glad you asked.
1: Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
0: All right, we're recording this on a Tuesday night at uh, roughly around seven o'clock. This is a little emergency segment. So, this normal Wednesday podcast, uh, I had my old radio colleague Michael Borkey on. At this point in the podcast, as Colin and I are recording, I have no clue if Borky is in front of this or behind this. I would imagine it would be behind it, but uh, if it's in front of it, I'm not time traveling or anything, or I'm not stoned. I just uh, switched the order of this podcast. Colin and I are jumping on for a little emergency segment because news just broke that uh, kind of confirmed what everyone thought. Mike Bianco said in his pregame radio segment with David Kellum and Brad Henderson that Tim Elko indeed suffered a torn ACL in Tuesday night's 20-6 to six, uh, avenging win over North Alabama. Um, you know, let's just get right into it, dude. I mean, uh, when the play happened, we, neither one of us saw the play live. I was driving home from work. You were at work. Um, I saw the video afterward, and, like, you know, anytime a guy goes down with a non-contact deal and immediately starts grabbing the knee area, it, it's something to that effect. It seemed pretty obvious to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you, you were just hoping and praying it was a dislocated knee. But if you, you, you saw it, and there were some doctors on Twitter that came out and said, yeah, I'm worried about the ACL. You, you knew what happened. Um, it was just waiting on on confirmation, and unfortunately for Ole Miss, they got that on Tuesday afternoon that, that Elko had torn his ACL and um, at least knocks him out of the field. He he probably is not going to play in the field. Uh, but the way Mike Bianco said it, he left it up for debate if, if he's going to be able to DH or contribute to this team.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, um, let's. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Just kind of initial reaction when you when you saw the play. I mean, well, I mean, obviously, like for me, just on a personal level, I see a, a kid that's waited his turn. You know, he gets yeah. beat out his freshman year by a really damn good player in, in Tyler Keenan. You know, has some up and downs and has some struggles, and it's finally coming together with him. He's leading the SEC and RBIs. He's having one hell of a year, and for that to I, again we'll get to it later I don't want to say end his season definitely because of what you just alluded to but for that to happen in the way it happened is such a freak deal I mean when's the last time you heard of a baseball player particularly an infielder tearing his ACL just kind of rounding the bases without like yep. making contact with anyone with the back like it just really sucked I really felt felt really horribly for him because he seems like a nice kid and I know I'm stating the obvious here but I mean that that just sucks
1: yeah I mean Look, you're in a day and age with the transfer portal. Let me be very clear. I'm all for student athletes. But it is nice to see a kid that waits his turn and, and is able to come out and have success after waiting his turn. I and mean, that was certainly Tim Elko. And, yeah, it, it made me sick yesterday, if I'm honest. I remember, I remember how I felt when uh, Laquan broke his leg, and it, it kind of felt similar to that. Uh, just, I mean, absolutely shattering because you know that – first off, you know that the kid is, is – I mean, at the time, if you thought it was a torn ACL – you thought that's the last time I'll ever see him play at Ole Miss, um, and then obviously, I mean, he's having one hell of a year, and it impacts Ole Miss's offense in, great, in ways that uh, I mean, really unspeakable. That, that this team goes as Tim Elko goes, and he's, he's been one of the best hitters in the SEC, frankly. And uh, to at that time think that he were going to lose his bat, man, that uh, that's rough. That is extremely rough.
0: Yeah, it really is. And you know, you mentioned the the uh, the Laquan Treadwell. Injury, and I agree, it was similar. You know, if that place had been a sellout and it was a Friday night, sure, TC weekend, I think you would have probably felt the same sense of the air coming out of the place like it did with the Quan. The Laquan thing was weird because, like, there's so much happened on the play. It's like, did he score? Did he fumble? He's hurt. Like, there was so much to digest. To where this was just like, as soon as it happened, it's like, oh man, this is brutal. And you know, I'm not comparing injuries or arguing which one's worse by, by any stretch, but sure. I, I just he almost felt even a little more sick for the kid because at that point, I mean, he's kind of in a proven year from a professional standpoint, but he's also just tasting success for the first time to where Laquan had kind of been a stud from the time he stepped on campus. And it just felt like he had so much more in front of him. And it, it you know, I mean, carrying this team through a, through a run at the West and a run through the postseason, um, you know, was, was probably obviously something he would have enjoyed him. And you only get so many of these and, and it just really sucked to see that, in that way and I know we're kind of going in circles saying the same thing but there's just so many aspects of this before you even get to a team perspective of just how terrible it is for him personally because okay God tears his ACL in football okay you know I mean I don't mean to be like flipping about it but water also wet right you're constantly fighting and turning and hitting each other for this to happen the way it did just kind of running the bases I know he was trying to dodge the guy but it really just kind of happened on a somewhat typical I mean, I know he didn't hit a double, but it was very a typical kind of plant and turn to kind of get around the bases, essentially. Just a, a really, really shitty way to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I was really upset on, I guess, Monday night when you see people that are bitching, and, and excuse my French there, that, oh, the kid's in the game, why is he playing? It's like, man, Ole Miss has 13 position players. Like, at some point, crap just crap just happens. Um, this isn't you know I, I feel like we as a as a fan base or maybe not just a fan base people in sports in general just kind of trying to find somebody to blame for every single thing and it's like man this this is just part of it like sometimes miserable things happen um and you know look Tim is an excellent player he's an excellent kid if you've ever been around him one of the nicest kids that that's come through that program frankly um it, it just sucks for him man because look he Tim was playing himself into a top three round draft pick this year. I mean, he's playing himself into making hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you just have—I mean, it doesn't. I mean, if you're keeping up with that, it—the thought has to go through your mind. It's like, man, how much money did this kid just cost himself because because of a freak play at second base on a Monday night against North Alabama?
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up particularly the first part of that, just because I mean, you say a sports fan base thing. I mean, I think it's a societal thing. Uh, just in general. And I'm not even sure if it's a generational thing. I think it's just kind of always been the case. I mean, hell, I stubbed my toe in a door this morning and I was like, eat shit <laughs> door like this is your fault. You know what I mean? Like when <laughs> something happens that kind of triggers your emotions, you're kind of naturally looking for something to blame. And like you said, what this was the what I just wrote this down fifth inning, fourth inning. Okay, fourth inning. I know they're up a ton of runs. I know it's North Alabama. Look, if he does that in the top of the ninth, and he's taking his sixth hack of the game sure. at the plate when it's twenty-one to six in the top of the ninth, it's like, okay, what are you doing here? But like you said, it's a it's a fourth inning. Like baseball players go play baseball, and I didn't look at any message boards or anything. Not that those are necessarily indicative of, of rational behavior or thought. But I don't necessarily think that was a mainstream opinion. But you definitely did see some of it, and it's only natural. But like I, I that never. To be honest to God, that never crossed my mind. The only like no. aspect of that thought that ever crossed my mind was like. Are you kidding me? This happened in the 26th game against Northern Alabama, not why is he in there. It's just like, this happened now? Like, like what a yeah. worthless time for this to happen, if there's ever a time of worth for it to happen. It's like, come on. It just kind of – like, the score and the situation just kind of made it even more gut-wrenching, uh, you know, absent of blame. I don't really blame Mike Bianco for playing his starting first baseman in the fourth inning of the Tuesday game. Everybody played last night, basically. Yeah. Except for uh, yeah, he Gunhurst, but he doesn't catch
1: midweeks. Yeah, and it, I think he DH, didn't he? Or maybe he didn't. I'm not sure. But you have 13 position players available. Like, somebody has to play. That's how it works. You only have four guys that are available off the bench. I mean, it just, man, it's it, it sucks. And, you know, you look at this team and it's like, oh, and I've, I've seen this. It's like, how do you replace Tim Elko? You don't. You try to pick it up and you try to you, – you, you need Gunnar Hoagland to be better. You need, and, and that's hard to do. You need Doug McCase to keep, keep pitching like a stud. You need Kevin Graham to continue hitting like a stud. You need a guy like Hayden Leatherwood or Calvin Harris to come on and hit. You know, have a 900 OPS the rest of the year. Uh, but, but as far as replacing this, that, that's not happening. You're just going to have to be better all around. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, doomsday stuff. And, like, yeah, that sucks that your captain is probably uh, – well, I'm not going to say probably. That your captain has a chance to not play the rest of the year. But this team still has a chance to do a lot of special things because of who they put on the mound on Friday and Saturday nights.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. And that was the exact thing I wrote in the newsletter this morning. It was so weird the way all this came out because I know we were texting last night and we were like, you know, we want to do like a little emergency segment just because like when shit happens and we're talking baseball, that's kind of what we do. But, you know, we were both kind of at the end like, let's hold off on this because everyone seems to think they know what this is. Like I think everyone kind of knew where this was going. But like if you and I crank out a 35-minute segment on Malcolm and how to replace this and it's like, Oh, he strained a kneecap like four weeks. It's like, okay, what what, what What do we we look like? And you know, it was like I said, you just—I don't—I hate like you can always get yourself in trouble, whether it be the internet or just you know. I mean, I'm not a journalist or a reporter anymore, but just human decency and responsibility. Just kind of you know, guessing and preconceiving injuries before they happen. But I think you know I I posted Dylan Edwards' video in the newsletter this morning, and you saw the doctors under it in the replies. It was like this follows a common ACL pattern injury. This is exactly what you'd be worried about by watching this. Um, so everyone seemed to kind of know where this is going, and then it doesn't actually. You know, he he puts out that tweet, your typical athlete tweet about thanks for the prayers. You know, this is not yep. in my hands anymore, um, type of thing. But no announcement had
1: been made yet. So that's kind of when you knew, though.
0: Oh, for sure. But it's also very weird. Like, I wish like, – it would have been almost clear if he's like, can't wait to come back next year stronger than ever. You know what I mean? Like, he never put a timestamp in the kind yes. of support tweet that now tends to come out from everybody nowadays. So, it was like, okay, you know, now I'm 99% sure, but can we hammer home that 1% so you can kind of start trying to fig- like figure out, I guess, what's next. And, um, you oh, know, it, I, is, it comes out on I, free game I, radio uh, 30 minutes before the game.
1: Yeah. I think, look, he's going to do everything because, I, I I mean, I'll be candid. I don't, I don't have any insight on this. This is, I think, Tim Elko's last year at Ole Miss. I think he's going to go pro after this year, even with the injury. Um, again, I don't have any insight on that. Just kind of, you know, following following college baseball. Guys don't usually stay five years. Um, I expect him to take every opportunity to try to play this year. Look, guys, and, and, and look, I'm no doctor by any stretch of the imagination, so I can't tell you. What a torn ACL impacts and that type of thing. I do know people have played on it before. Um, So I expect him to give every opportunity to try to get back into this lineup. Will it happen? I don't know. Um, We'll see. But, you know, if – look, God forbid this happened to anybody else. If there's anybody on this team this has to happen to and is going to try to get back into the lineup, you you probably pick it to be him from the standpoint of he's going to bust it to get back onto the field again, I'm not saying you'd want him to be the guy with the torn a torn I'm just saying if someone has to do it um, and you need him to play, this is probably the guy that's going to be able to do it. Cause I think he's extremely tough. Um, you know, and, and I, I remember in a 2019 regional game, I think it was against Clemson. The kid just bl- dislocates his like hand and like comes back out and you know, the trainers come out and they like, just pop it back in place and he just keeps going on like it's normal. Um, so I expect this kid to give everything he can to get back on the field. I think they're going to avoid surgery as long as they can um, and just see kind of where he stands. Look, I don't think he's playing this weekend or next weekend in Star But if you tell me in four weeks this kid takes the field against LSU, I'm not shocked. Yeah, so what you're – That's so field to... if he DHs.
0: Oh, yeah, sorry. Finish that thought.
1: No, I was just saying, I shouldn't say takes the field. I said DHs. I don't expect there to be any way he plays in the field.
0: Yeah, I know, I knew what you meant. Um, and what you're referring to is so one of the things Mike alluded to when talking to Kellum in this pregame uh, radio session that happened right at an hour ago as we were recording this is that Mike Bianco did leave the possibility open. Obviously, he said it will require surgery at some point. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone, you know, pre-World War II. Uh, okay, that's a, that's a little bit of exaggeration. That, you know, if you're an ACL, like you're doing surgery at some point. Like, the ob- sure. obvious. Um, but, you know, they haven't made a decision on when that will be. And Mike did leave the possibility open for Elko just to return to the lineup at some point, which presumably means DH. So there's just no way you're playing any position in the field where you have no. to plant and cut on a regular basis uh, with the torn ACL. So if for all intents and purposes, he's leaving the possibility that this kid can come back and hit. So, in the interim that Elko will rehab this thing. He would take anti-inflammatory medication to try to reduce the swelling. If the swelling goes down and Elko can handle the pain, Bianco said there's a chance that Elko could play again before the surgery with the help of a knee brace. I think that we all kind of knew, uh, you know, what, what that actually entailed when Mike did leave that open. Or if you're hearing this for the first time, it doesn't take a genius to know. One, he's DHing, two, it's gonna be with a knee brace. And three, it's all about pain tolerance. Uh, so I'll pose this question to you. How is he gonna hit? Because it appears, and it looks from the picture of the brace to the way he grabbed it afterwards, it appears that it is his right knee. And I get my left and right's confused all the time. Uh, as you well know i so this is now this is actually his back leg so this is now his plant leg which um you know i'll pose it to you because you do coach baseball this is this is probably going to make it tougher than it had it been his front
1: yeah and you know I'm, I'm not saying this as a doctor or anything but just from the the weight transfer standpoint as far as putting all this weight on your back leg and exploding into your left leg i would think it probably makes it a little bit tougher yeah um, so if this had to happen, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I would think you probably want it to be the front leg, uh, as far as when he's hitting. So, yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a hell of a rehab process if he gets back on the field. Anyways, I won't be shocked at all. If this kid gets back on the field just from his demeanor and his mindset. Um, but yeah, making it the back leg seems, seems to be more consequential. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess I was, you know, originally when, when we were, uh, when I was looking at the video, <laughs> So when when you look at the video and if you subscribe to the newsletter, uh, you know I posted the video that Dylan Elgin put on the on Twitter. He just went back and re watched the game and recorded it. I suppose it, it's weird because he holds his right leg, but it's the inside leg, the left one, that at least from the naked eye watching it the first time seems like it buckled. But then you see him recoil and grab his right leg. I, excuse me, you see him recoil and yes, then then grab his right leg. Did that throw you off as well? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, it's the inside leg he hit while he was turning. But it's actually the outside one that he grabbed.
1: I'll be honest. I I have not watched the video. I, I just – I've seen – I saw where he tripped over the guy. um, It was on the ground, like just a photo. And I saw the guy laying on his left side, so I just assumed it was his left side. Um, I, I don't think I have the stomach to watch the video. Um, But, yeah, it's – yeah. I mean, if it's his back leg, I, I feel like, again, that's that's more consequential as far as from exploding into your, into your front side and being able to drive the baseball with power, which is obviously, you know, a big part of his game. So we'll see. It's early. Um, but, you know, Mike did leave the possibility open that he's going to play in an Ole Miss uniform again.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that's probably really where you're, talk- you're talking. You talk about the pain tolerance, like when he's swinging and he's turning and transferring power on that back yeah. leg. That's, ex- I mean, that's really the story, right? I mean, if he if he's able to come back, it's because he can kind of turn well enough, and the pain tolerance is is insignificant enough for him to be able to turn and swing um off that yeah. leg, no problem.
1: Yep, that's 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 going to be the key. If he's able to twist that knee, um, you know, that's going to be hard. So he's going to have to be able to do that, I'm sure, before they're able to put him on the field.
0: Okay, another question, just out of curiosity: would it be harder? Would it be harder, or any would your answer be any different if he was one of those big leg kick kids?
1: Um, I guess not not, because you're
0: not planning laterally when you do that. But I don't know. I was just thinking about that, and then two: is it too late to turn this kid into a switch hitter? What's his other hand like? (laughs)
1: See what he can do left-handed, um, but yeah, it's not—you're obviously not going to be able to do that. But um, yeah, it's—it's going to be tough. I'm—I'm I'm interested to see how it goes and if he's able to twist on that. Obviously, you got to be able to run. I mean, he—he he doesn't have to be a speed demon or even fast or or even medium speed on the bases, but you do have to be able to not get picked off anytime you're on base. Um, that obviously plays a large role into it. Uh, we'll see. It's, it's, I think we have a few weeks to answer that question because I think it's going to take a few weeks to get the swelling down and get him into where he's good to play if he's going to be able to play.
0: That's a good point. And when you're leading off at first base, now if Tim Melko is, is, is playing and he's in the lineup in, in four or five weeks or whatever after they reevaluate him, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm overanalyzing at this point. So this, I promise this is the last uh, note where I try to make you play doctor. But if he is leading off and you're diving back in the bag off your left leg, that doesn't seem to be as big of a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that uh, that that doesn't seem to be as big of an issue, but you know, um, we'll see. It's it's just can you know from a pain tolerance standpoint, can he do it, and is he going to be able to make all the necessary turns and cuts to be able to play? Uh, frankly, on this team, I mean, it's you know, you've got to be able to pick him up and put him down and round the bases. And you know, we'll see. I don't know one way or the other. We'll we'll have to see here in a few weeks if he's able to do that. Look, I've watched Kel
0: Baker single off a wall before. Like, if, if this guy can remotely kind of get around the bases, I think he'll be okay. I think okay. he'll be okay. But uh, that was uh, WebMD Corner brought to you by Dr. James Andrews. who pays <laughs> a lot to sponsor this show. But uh, t- before we get ourselves in, in hot water for just having amateur medical takes, you talk about the replacing aspect, and that's exactly what I wrote in the newsletter this morning, was you're not replacing a Tim Elko. It's just not no. possible. I, mean, I mean, the guy's what? His – He's leading the SEC in RBIs. I don't know what the hell he's slugging off the top of my head, but it's it something 660 with a 444 on base percentage, and he's hitting 340. Like, you're not replacing any of that. And I wrote this in the sense that, like, I kind of knew what was coming, but not, you know, not confirming it or whatever, not being able to know for sure. So I left the possibility open. But it's like you're just trying to see how much you can collectively fill this for however long he's out. And that's not just with hitters. Like, that, that includes the pitching staff as well and everyone sure. else. But let's just start from the hitting standpoint. If there is a silver lining to any of this at all, it is that Trey LaFleur and Kel Baker made their returns last night. Kel Baker, I believe, started at DH, and LaFleur got to mid bats later in the game. Look, we talked about this in context uh, in past podcasts with reference: what to do with Hayden Leatherwood in right field, and do you let Palmy play right field, and you know what does that do with DH and that shuffling? And we were kind of come to agreement on it as it pertains to DH. Um, you know, your best bet is either Leatherwood or Kale Baker or Trey LaFleur coming back and realizing their full potential. And while obviously neither one of them are going to be expected or I don't even think capable at this point of even remotely coming close to kind of being an anchor in the middle of the lineup, it would be just that more of a consequential injury. Both of those dudes still had three more weeks before they could get back on the field. So the timing is not the worst of all worse.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially you're exactly right. Their their ability to get back on the field certainly I, I don't want to say softens the blow, but uh, it does provide you some more depth to have a choice as to what you're going to do. Obviously, you know if those guys aren't back, you're just you're sticking John Rice Plumley in left field or right field and Leatherwood in and other corner spot. You're bringing Graham in, so now you at least do have two more options to to see what those guys can do. Um, you know, as far as replacing this statistically, you know, obviously like we said, you can't um but i look at a guy like like Hayden Leatherwood like at this point man you you got to hit you you have to be able to be a force in this offense i'm not saying hit 350 the rest of the year i'm saying man like just hit 270 and hit six home runs and you know just drive the baseball i think that's the kind of way you just kind of replace his value by committee uh until you know either he's able to get back or obviously you know not able to get back um but as far as, as LaFleur Le, uh, and Baker, yeah, and, uh, that absolutely gives you more options. Obviously, those guys have had their struggles this year when they were healthy. Um, so, you're just going to have to see. It's, you know, you've got options to replace him. It's just right now none of those options outside of, outside of frankly, Plumley has played too well.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're dead on with that because, you know, you think you get Cal Baker back and you just look at him on the surface, you're like, yeah, this guy's kind of a power-hitting masher, but he was not that at all. For any portion of the way he played um, before he got hurt. And, uh, you know, not as a pile on the kid, but outside of one weekend in 2020, he really wasn't that in 2020. Last year, you know, he has the two home run game right. against whomever that was. Was that Louisville? Blue. And yeah. really endeared himself to the fan base. And he's a great kid. I'm not dumping on him, but like, there's just not been hardly any evidence at all to show he's going to be a productive hitter in the Southeastern Conference, at least not to a close degree to where it's going to make up the divide or gap with Elko. Um, and you're right, when you're talking about replacing this whole deal by committee, you can't really have what happened last weekend where you had three or four guys that were just kind of holes and outs in that lineup. Like, the way you you, you shoulder this thing up is, you know, I mean, you basically treat it. If, if Elko were in the lineup, try to treat it in a sense to where you shouldn't have to rely on him so much. You need to have fewer outs in the order. You need Jacob yep. Gonzalez as a freshman to be more consistent. You can't have, um, you know uh, – who am I trying to – excuse me, Hayden Dunhurst, I couldn't get that out of my mouth, have a bad weekend that he's had like that. Now, that seems unfair. Guys are going to have tough weekends, but you can't have him have a hitless weekend or you can't have Justin Bench go four games like he did earlier in the year without getting a hit. Like, you know, one through eight, not including whoever fills this spot, has to be a hell of a lot more consistent might be the better word than quote-unquote better. Better fits in some cases, but they need to be more consistent one through eight and kind of make teams fear them more top to bottom if you're going to do this replacement. Thing. That's how you're going to replace them, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're exactly right. I mean, you look, like I said, you look at a guy like Leatherwood and look at a guy like Calvin Harris and, you know, hopefully he gets a lot better as a true freshman and is able to anchor down that DH spot. Uh, because, you know, frankly, the DH spot has been open for hope for grabs. I mean, you know, you thought when uh with you know, Baker and LaFleur coming back before Elko got hurt. It's like, well, those guys are going to get chances at DH. And, you know, obviously, you know, it, it the statistical likelihood is one of those is going to replace Elko at first base or Plumley replaces him and Kevin Graham moves into first base. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is eight of the nine positions have been fielded, but you still had to figure out who's going to DH. Uh, well, now it, it's, you kind of got two positions to fill, right. Um, so it's, it's going to be tough. Um, they, look, I think Ole Miss has talent on this team. I think they have guys that can that can be decent hitters and, and pretty good hitters. But, like I said, you're not going to statistically replace Tim Oco. I think it just kind of comes from a, from a committee approach, and that includes everybody. And Like I said, Gunner has to be excellent. Uh, Doug Nikhazy has to be excellent. Derek Diamond has to be a hell of a lot better. Um, and it looks like he's going to be the guy on Sunday this week. He drew in it. Uh, drew McDaniel is in his fourth inning against Alcorn State tonight. Um, so – um, you know, it's it's just going to have to be a by committee approach to be able to replace that level. And you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, hopefully that works out. But the reality is, you don't just lose the best hitter in the SEC and and continue, you know, like you were on offense. Now, again, I think there's a real possibility he takes at bats this year. But uh, you know, until then, until he comes out as a as a starting DH for Ole Miss's lineup, I'm going to struggle to talk about him as if he's in present tense.
0: Uh, yeah, you I think you said that very well. And if you're listening to us at this point, we've probably made you quite cranky. I mean, there's no great way to digest this news. But if you allow me to spin this positively, and it's not even really a spin, if you allow me to offer the cap of, hey, these guys can do this, I would point you in the direction of Kale Baker and Trey LaFleur because while they have not been great or consistent, it there is a lack of opportunity factor with the that. right. where Ben Van Cleve And Hayden Leatherwood, I mean, I think one of them has started 26 games and played in – or, excuse me, played in 26 and started 25. I believe that's uh, Leatherwood. And then Van Cleave has been in the same neighborhood. He may have all started all 26 or 27 to where, like, if you're talking about sample size, I'm not saying they couldn't turn it around, but the book is much more out than it is on a trailer floor who played for at – did, you know, whatever with his opportunities – um, and then Kale Baker, who, yes, he hasn't been good, and I know I kind of crapped on him just a second ago, and I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. But, look, the kid did have COVID to start the year and couldn't do anything for two weeks. And then yeah. he hit his wrist, and he's kind of had the year from hell. And he did struggle last year, but that's really the first major opportunity that he's gotten at Mountain College pitching outside of whatever he did at Cincinnati, but it's obviously a whole here, other here. level here. Like, right there's still an unknown factor there. I'm not necessarily confident in it. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not giving him a vote of confidence, but if you're trying to look at the positive spin and maybe kind of look at the unknown here, I would probably steer you toward those two guys because there is a, uh, there's a factor of a a lack of opportunity to kind of get to consistent production. And I don't know if it's one of them. I don't know if it's both of them, but in some degree they're both about to see a lot more consistent at bats. And that's got to help their chances. Nothing else.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, experience is, is the name of the game. I mean, if they, if you're able to get experience, and look, you know, you talk about Kel Baker and, and you know, not seeing, you know, high-level division one pitching in, what, three years, 2018 at, at Cincinnati. Um, you know, so he's, he's obviously missed the first weekend and has been out with a hammock bone injury. Um, I think they – look, I, I think, frankly, Mike Bianco and that staff have a lot of confidence that Trey LaFleur will be a very good hitter by the time he leaves Ole Miss. Is that right now? I don't know. We'll see almost needs it to be right now. Um, because frankly, I think if you got if if you asked, if you put truth serum in Mike Bianco and said, hey, one of these guys is going to be able to step in, take that everyday first base role, and you know, be be a productive player, I think he would pick that person to be Trey LaFleur, frankly, because he fixes your infield defense or he keeps your because look, Tim Oko was a plus defender at first base. He was he was a pretty good defender at third base. He was extremely good at first base. And I know he had the error on Thursday night, whatever crap happens. But yeah, I, I think Trey LaFleur is a dynamic. I think he's frankly w- one of the best uh, defensive first basers that Ole Miss has had in a while. So if Ole Miss is able to get production out of him, I think Mike would welcome that with or, or have that with open arms. Um, you know, because I, I just think he's the one that's able to make your offense and, and in the same way your defense more dynamic.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I imagine, well, one, if you gave Mike Bianco a truth the first four questions would be about instances with myself. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, once we got to the on-field stuff. Do you think
1: he misses you, like, when you're not on the Zoom chats? Do you think he's noticed you're not here? Yes, I do
0: think he's noticed. But I just don't know how that's made him feel. I wonder if there's a small part of it, if I ever popped back up on one of those things. Would he try sure to grin get- or would he kind of go, oh, shit.
1: I- I'm sure we could get you the link.
0: Oh yeah, I it, it's not because I'm like I, I can't crack the code. I just have no interest in doing so. But
1: to show up after like a three to two loss on Friday night to Arkansas, I'll be like, "Sup, Mike?"
0: So yeah, that's what I. That's if I did that, that's what I would need to do. Just some excruciating loss where they just played like absolute crap. I would need to do that, and then I would need to get Sims to get me the first question. <laughs> so.
1: we're, we're, we're we're Brian now
0: reading it back down to uh i bet mike would look at him and go who like <laughs> did you say that right um the but bringing you bringing this back into earth you know i talk about the lack of opportunity factor kel baker was to make sure i have this completely correct 7 for 36 this year with a home run 10 RBIs and eight walks and 19 strikeouts it's not, not, it's great. Not, not great of that um, or COVID. And, you know, I mean, look at Cam Newton. Cam Newton sucked, but how much of that COVID-19, like it affects these guys differently.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, obviously, look, I mean, I I know, you know, our, our listenership doesn't follow, uh, follow women's basketball a ton, but I'll tell you that their best player got COVID and, and was, you know, messed up for a while. Uh, I say their best player, one of their best players. I mean, this this has a real effect on athletes. Um, you know, and obviously it has a real effect on, you know, just everyday people too um, where, you know, hey, it's it's tough to come back from for some people. Now, look, obviously there's asymptomatic people or whatever.
0: Like I was kind of mentioning, and you you just added on to it well, right? It affects these guys differently. I mean, I, I've, I've, I know I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more into the NBA or keep up with it more than you sure. in terms of interest-wise. You know, Jason Tatum had COVID for the Celtics earlier this year. And he was very open about the fact that it was like, yeah, guys, I know I played in games the first 2 weeks I got back but I I am not myself and I'm feeling like myself sure. for the first time in a while. Like it affects guys. And I'm not saying that I don't want to put words in Baker's mouth and how he sure. and how he didn't feel. I'm just saying I'm willing to leave the benefit of the doubt open. I mean, and then hell, he plays six more games. Or I guess plays 11. Starts 6 of them. And then breaks his hand and takes the ball off whatever in batting practice. Like, I guess I'm trying to articulate, he's had the year from hell this year. And so I don't think he's as bad as the version you've seen from him this year. Because you remember it last year, and I just had that completely wrong. I was looking at the floor stats on the games played. Baker started 11 games played in 13 after after he missed the first weekend for COVID. Excuse me on that. And just wasn't productive. And, you know, as much as he got ragged on or was starting to before the, the, the shutdown last year, he still hit four home runs, 15 RBI, and slugged 520 with the 349 yep. OBP. I know that's not numbers to just absolutely write home about. Obviously, certainly not Tim Elko, but that's also not horrendous. No.
1: No, and look, I, you know, you talk about, you know, that's that's in starts against Indiana and East Carolina and three starts against Louisville, so – I think the potential is there. I, I just – look, you know, I think maybe we, we, we've we come on to something because it looked like and, – and I didn't see this last year with Kale Baker. but like he struggled with velocity some at times. And if you remember right, against Louisville, he takes Bobby Miller out of the park who's a first-round draft pick and is sitting 94 to 96. So velocity really wasn't something that he struggled with last year. Um, and, and I think it was this year. So maybe we might be on to something with this, you know, him not being able – or being 100%. We'll see. Um, I'll ask you this.
0: That's a great point. I had not thought put, about it like that. Because he I'll, I'll, did – the two kids he took deep – or the kid he took deep, and then there was one more in there. One of his other home runs besides the two home run day was another kid, if I'm not mistaken, that really flung it. Like, it, they weren't throwing meat on a midweek.
1: Sure. Um, I'll just ask – I'll put you on the spot. Who do you think is in the lineup on Friday night for, for essentially Tim Elko? Either put him in left field and move him to first, or you play a new first baseman? No, I play – it's a right-handed pitcher, just for the record.
0: So, I think he just does what he did tonight. Baker at first, some <laughs> version Leatherwood and uh, Plumley in right field, and then keep it like that for now. But I guess what I'm not factoring in is the whole DH thing and how bad Van Cleef struggled. And I know that's another guy. I guess I was kind of the other side of the coin. I should have kind of hit that a little bit more um, in terms of him and Leatherwood and the book being out. I will say Baker at first base, and then they keep it the same. But it also, like in terms of confidence, I have very little confidence. If Baker is at DH, Graham is at first,
1: and – Plumlee's in left.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, that would not stun. Well, would it be Plumlee in center and McCanson left, or are they just going to let that kid – I don't know.
1: Him? It's a valid question at this point. I will tell you that every time Plumlee has played, McCanson still stayed in center field. Um, but if John Rice Plumley takes over an everyday role, I think it would be kind of—I uh, don't want to say silly—but I would disagree with not putting him in center field.
0: Agree. Um, but I, I, I'm giving you three answers here. You could also—could you not see a whole? Uh, you could see Leatherwood, uh, Leatherwood DH Baker first, Plumley right, uh, Grant. Yeah. Um,
1: I think at DH this weekend, it's two right-handed pitchers. Assuming again, Arkansas doesn't change their rotation. I think Calvin Harris will start two games at DH. Um, I don't know what Ole Miss will do against the left-hander on Sunday. Um, Is that anyone,
0: what's his, Vermillion?
1: Yeah, Vermilion, who strikes out about four and a half guys over nine innings. So, that's going to be interesting for me on, on Saturday, see if he's able to get Ole Miss out. Um, if, again, he's had a rough two weeks, so if he's still in the rotation. Um, but, yeah, look, there's obviously not a right answer to this. I mean, this, this, this sucks, frankly. Um, so, we'll see. I think uh I think he's gonna give I I will be I'll say this. I think um Baker is gonna get the first opportunity, but I, I don't think Kale Baker's leash is going to be very long either.
0: I uh I, I think you hit that well as as well, but there's also a possibility where he gets the opportunity and LaFleur is mixed in elsewhere, right? Like there's a sure. lot where it's both of them in there.
1: Yeah, LaFleur can absolutely be the DH. I mean, obviously that's but the thing with that is um, you know, Calvin Harris has been pretty good. So are you going to start him over, are you going to start LaFleur over Calvin Harris at DH right now? Cause obviously Harris can't go into the field.
0: Okay. So gut feeling, all things considered, you know, you asked me about the lineup. I guess I'll just flip it back on you. What do you think the lineup is?
1: Uh, on Friday, I, I, night, I
0: think, me, Friday night against uh, Arkansas.
1: Yeah. I think Baker gets the first shot and then we'll see what happens from there. Um, you know, it, it he's a, he's a veteran guy. He's been in the, I I guess, you know, he's been in college baseball for four years now. I mean, you give him a shot and see what happens. Um, You know, do I necessarily think it's going to work out? I kind of don't, but you know, if, if, if he's able to give you something and if if he's able to, you know, hit for a good bit of power and play a decent first base, I mean, you know, you obviously can't turn that down. So I think they give Baker the first opportunity. And then I think LaFleur gets his shot if it, if it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah, I would think the same thing. And, like, I was telling you a second ago, I mean, there's also a world where if they – I mean, they both – like, this is not a mutually exclusive thing, right? I mean, if they both rake, which I would say the odds of that are slim, they're both going to play. Right. He's not sitting one for the other. Like, they just don't really have that option anymore. But, like I was mentioning, you know, whenever we were talking about it earlier, it's like you you talk about Trey LaFleur's inconsistency. Is it possible to have inconsistency if you've had 23 at-bats?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's completely fair. I mean, you talk about it, uh, obviously he's, you know, out with mono and he had the dislocated shoulder at the beginning of the year. So maybe if you give him a shot and put him in the lineup, uh, you know, he's ready to go. I mean, I I think the mono thing is a big deal. I don't know if you've ever had mono, but it, it saps your energy for a little while. So it's, uh, I'm interested to see how he bounces back from that. I don't think he got in the game on Tuesday night. So, uh, we'll see. I, I just I think they're going to give Kale Baker the first shot and, and then kind of just go from there.
0: I would agree. I've never had mono. I've never kissed a girl. I'm still waiting on that to happen, but I'm still young. <laughs> but in all seriousness, that was a point I made. How I was probably talking to you. Maybe it was talking to Greg on one of the previous podcasts we did. It's like, yeah, even when you come back from mono. Like, he's when he's healthy enough to be in the lineup, I mean, it's kind of the same deal as COVID. You could maybe even make the argument without being a scientist that it could last even longer. But, like, it's going to take you a while to be yourself again. I mean, hell, I mean, Sam Darnold got it. Like, that's kind of the most famous one. But, yeah, I I would kind of uh, tread lightly with Trey LaFleur even when he's back in the lineup. But just when it comes down to the two of them, And, again, I just made this whole case about how Baker, like, it's still the possibility, sample size, all that. If you're just talking about ceiling and potential, like the best bet when it comes to that is the floor, is it not, in terms of – Oh, yeah. Because, like, the the ideal scenario here, and I don't think this is likely and I don't think it's going to happen, like the realistic scenario, as we outlined already at length, is them replacing him by committee. But if some guy just goes nuts for a month and a half and just starts tearing up SEC pitching – of the most likely candidates, Leatherwood, Lafleur, Baker, and – I'll Albert give you another one. And let's see. I'll give you,
1: a, I'll give you one because I, I, I think he's had really good at bats lately. And I think there's more power in his bat than what he's realized and what he's put on display. I think Justin Bench could have a really good finish to the year.
0: Okay. So, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But I would, I would pose the question slash argument that, one – they'll need that plus what we're talking about
1: yeah fair enough fair enough
0: who but that group I just named I was about to say so I I just changed my own question mid-sentence I was going to say who would you bet on Baker or Lafleur, as far as ceiling would you we both agree Lafleur.
1: yeah from from a ceiling perspective now that doesn't necessarily translate to who's going to give you the most this year um to be sure but yeah from a ceiling perspective I mean you talk about the guy that you know, was drafted out of high school by the Dodgers and was kind of coveted by them. So yeah, it's a, it's certainly LaFleur, and you just kind of hope that he's he's able to put it together if if he's the guy they has to to replace Elko.
0: But the better question that I thought of mid sentence, which happens a lot on these things and really just life in general, is out of the whole group I just named, all those dudes that it's kind of the same neighborhood. Leatherwood need him to hit. Baker need him to hit. LaFleur need him to hit. Van Cleve would be nice and Calvin Harris would be nice. If there is a guy that just quote unquote comes out of nowhere and tears SEC pitching to shred for the next month and a half and really just turns into a you know, quote unquote college baseball superstar. I'm not even saying for the level that Elko was because I'm not even sure when you look at Elko's numbers, like, yes, everyone knew he was good this year, but he, he I mean, it was borderline ridiculous. And so, if you're talking about a guy that kind of comes in and becomes better than expected, who are you betting on out of that group of what did I name five? Um,
1: I, I would go with Leatherwood just simply because I, I I think they have full trust in him. I mean, they've started him pretty much every game up until the last two weeks. I think they see something in him. And frankly, I mean, you can tell that the potential is with Leather it, is there with Leatherwood. I mean, you don't you don't get recruited and signed by Vanderbilt out of high school uh, without having all worlds of potential. So, if you told me there's a guy that over the next seven to eight weeks hits 300 and slugs 540 and has a 400 OBP, yeah, I think I, think I could argue that the, the most likely bet would be Leatherwood.
0: Wait, Leatherwood signed with Vanderbilt?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he ever stepped foot on campus, but yes, he signed with Vanderbilt.
0: Why did he end, how did he end up at Northwest? Because I remember doing a story one night. He hit not a walk off, but maybe it was a walk off in 20. In 20- I guess it had to be 20 – no, 2020, or before the restart.
1: No, 19. Oh, 2020 at Ole Miss?
0: Yeah, did he not hit a walk-off in 2020?
1: He may have. He had a big home run against Southern Miss in the bottom of the eighth that won the game.
0: That's probably exactly what I'm thinking of. That memory is honestly kind of frightening. Um, But, yeah, <laughs> that's probably what I'm thinking of. Um, But like, he was – the way – the kind of the intel we got from just talking around that. I thought he was a kid that kind of always wanted to go to Ole Miss and kind of, like, had had worked his ass off for the shot. Hell, I've said that on a podcast of all times. this kid signed with Vanderbilt out of high school?
1: Yes, yes. He signed with Vanderbilt out of high school. I am almost 100% sure. I'll look that up to be uh, 100% sure, but I, I I remember reading that, yeah, he out of high school. No, you're right.
0: It's in the game notes. And I wasn't doubting you, but what I guess what I'm asking, what happened?
1: I have no idea, absolutely no idea. Um, I'm not sure if he ever stepped foot on campus. Not not 100% positive, but uh, yeah. I mean, he was recruited and signed by Tim Corbin, and and he doesn't. When you have 30 scholarships, you don't make a you don't make an effort to throw them away.
0: That's a great point. I'm just going to hand up. I had no idea. I just what uh, where are his white cleats and pretentious attitude?
1: <laughs> Can he do the uh, aerobics that Vanderbilt does?
0: That was probably what counted him out. They're like, "Sorry, son, you're gonna have to go to Northwest." That uh, that uh, that that hind stretch was piss poor.
1: <laughs> Your jumping jacks are god-awful. god awful. God, yeah.
0: Sorry, son, you'll never do calisthenics here. Um. <laughs> so I would probably bet Hayden Leatherwood as well, but if you're making me go number two, is it not Trey LaFleur? Because I'm just not sure what Calvin Harris is against. De- you know, guys that throw from the other side of the plate. I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a. I think that's a good point. And that if Lafleur gets his opportunity, I think he's going to get opportunities against right and left handed pitching. Where I don't think Harris is going to get that opportunity. I think there is a scenario um, where either Lafleur or Baker is the DH um, when there's a left handed pitcher because uh, Harris doesn't hit left handed pitching.
0: That's fair. That's an interesting way to think about it. Last note on Leatherwood, he came for the superior education. Um,
1: <laughs> That's what it is.
0: So, Ole Miss, you know, before, I, before I let you get out of here, we've kind of covered this was supposed to be an emergency podcast, or excuse me, emergency segment of a podcast, and it's pretty much turned into a podcast in its own right to where I'll probably split you and Borky up, as I alluded to, on the top of the show just because I chatted with my old pal, Michael Borky, for quite a while about many different topics, and I don't think anyone needs a three-hour podcast from myself. (laughs) My girlfriend would not listen to me for three hours over (laughs) a week, much less anyone else by choice. So before I let you get out of here, though, Ole Miss did beat uh, Alcorn State eight to one um, on the night that we're recording this, that being Tuesday night, most of you will listen to this on uh Wednesday. Uh, you know, you mentioned, so I, a buddy of mine that listens to this show a lot and is very in tune with Ole Miss baseball texted me about an hour before first pitch and said, uh, Drew McDaniel started starting bullpen day question mark. And I was like, yeah, I obviously that seems like the case. Well, guess what? Because I'm never right about anything. Not the case. what he pitched, Four and uh, what? Four
1: four and through 66 pitches. Yeah, I'll so present to you. So that's I'll not a problem. Yeah, I'll present something to you, though. Um, throw 66 pitches in a game on Tuesday night. I don't think he'd be ready on Friday. So, like, I, if he's not starting on Sunday, and I'm not saying he is, I don't have any insight, then why did you just burn him for probably Friday night? Oh, I actually kind of like this. I had not thought I, about I, I, I'm not saying that I know anything. I don't. I, I just – if you're going to throw him and he'll not be available or at you know, tip-top shape on Friday night, why did you throw him 66 pitches on Tuesday?
0: Okay, so I, I don't disagree, and I actually like the way you're going with this. I like that line of thought. But if you've already somewhat made up your mind that he is going to be your Sunday guy – It's the same question. Why did you throw him 66 pitches on a Tuesday?
1: No, that's fair. Um, I guess what I could – my argument there is he hasn't started a game in a while uh, since Auburn that Saturday. Okay. So, I I believe uh, that would be my rationale. Again, look, I'm just presenting the theory. I don't know anything. And, if frankly, if I had to bet, I would guess Derek Diamond starts on Sunday. I just did kind of find it interesting in that you probably burned him for Friday night.
0: No, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I had not thought about it from that perspective to where this is Tuesday and it's not a bullpen day, and there is a chance you need him on Friday. Although at the same time, has he he hasn't pitched on a Friday yet? Or again, game one, quote unquote.
1: No. Um no, he is not. He is not. I mean, but he's only been in the bullpen for two weekends too. So Yeah,
0: that's also true. We're not talking about some large sample size where he's been the Doug insurance package or the bridge guy for you know, a month now. That That's a good point. But it's interesting. Drew McDaniel might be the most fascinating old Miss pitcher in the time. I think he may be more interesting than anyone I've covered, um, even in the full time I was on the beat, in terms of like, what is he and how are they going to use him? Because he's awesome. Because they've had plenty <laughs> of dudes where it's like, okay, how are you going to hide this guy? Or he's in this role because he can't do anything else. Like, can you remember a guy like Drew McDaniel in the last six years to where it's like he could yeah. do this, this, and this, and how do you use him? He's kind of fascinating.
1: The The only comp I can even bring close would be David Parkinson. But but other than that, I guess Etheridge to an extent, but not really. Um, Etheridge always, frankly, for my money, should have been a starter, but that's another story for another day. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's – he provides Mike a lot of flexibility with what he's able to do for sure.
0: Yeah, and Parkinson probably would have been more – versatile in terms of the whole – like kind of fitting the McDaniel role or lack thereof had the teams been better around him. I don't remember which year Parkinson was the Friday guy. Was Parkinson the Friday guy for that 16 team that overachieved?
1: No, no, that was uh, Brady Bramlett. Parkinson was the Friday night guy on 17's team until uh, he got sick one weekend and they let Ron Rollison pitch in his place. And then I think McArthur moved up to the Friday night guy and they kept Parkinson on Sunday.
0: No, you're exactly right. And the the weekend he got sick was a crucial weekend for yep. the tournament chances. And that played kid, Missouri. Yeah, and that kid. What was that kid's name for Mizzou? That was How. A- he, he
1: pitches for the Red Sox now.
0: Yes, he does. And I can't remember his name, which is a damn shame. Tanner he- How. Yeah, Tanner How. That's a geez. <laughs> and not only if I'm not mistaken, did they lose the Friday game and back in that thing, or did they beat him They did on Sunday.
1: Yeah, they were in trouble. They lose on Friday night, and Parkinson's not ready to go on Saturday against Tanner Houck, and you're throwing, you know, what was an inexperienced Ron Rollison in a game that, frankly, you couldn't lose. Now, look, they wound up losing enough games they couldn't make the tournament. But but Rollison beat Tanner Houck that day, and then gave Ole Miss every opportunity to make the tournament that year.
0: So that was James MacArthur Friday guy.
1: Yes, yes, that was what that was.
0: Which happened for another year. I, so, sorry, this has just been a, a complete brain uh, void in my brain. Because if I'm not mistaken, the 2017 team, which I spent three that, nights...
1: That was the 17 team.
0: Yes, so this is the same year. Because the one... You know, I watched One Shining Moment and introduced one, my girlfriend <laughs> to One Shining Moment the other night. If you talk about... Um, James MacArthur's one shining moment. It was that one night in in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in 2017. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely. You're just throwing gas. For, I think I swear to God, I think he pitched eight shutout. I would have to go look up yeah. the box course. I know he went
1: eight. Yeah, I do too. Away. I don't know if it's shutout or not, but yeah, I do too.
0: Anyway, we're going off on a tangent, but I did. <laughs> I forgot about that whole Missouri scenario because I'll never forget standing out there when they let Rollison go on Saturday. And it was like, yeah, Parkinson's not even at the ballpark. He tried to come, but he just couldn't. And I was like, what does that mean? The guy has the flu. Like, did he get in his car and get too weak by the first stoplight? What does that mean? He tried to come to the ballpark, and they just um, went to any other detail. And like, then, what does that mean?
1: He was miraculously better on Sunday.
0: <laughs> he was. He was. might That might have uh, been an old trick. Up five sleeve. We uh, I don't even remember where we were going with this. We've gone so far off in the rails. I've, I'm now a 2017 beat reporter again. Because <laughs> that Arkansas series that MacArthur shoved, the weather was so bad that we can yeah. that Ole Miss actually played on Thursday and then a doubleheader Friday. And then I got to right. go out with my friends on double-decker on a Saturday because the series had already ended.
1: Yeah, they, uh, they won on Thursday night and then Friday morning and then lost Friday night. Or really – friday midday um so that series was funny to me because it was literally over before anybody else had thrown a pitch in the sec that weekend
0: yes it was and if you want to talk about one of the classic times mike jumped me was he wins the first two games and they lose a tough uh friday afternoon yeah. game, the third game of the series and it didn't really matter like they had a chance to go for the sweep and obviously with the way that team was going a sweeping that ranked arkansas team would have been monumental, but you lose the game, and it's kind of like, eh, your work here is already done. Well, Mike decided that I had asked way too many questions as the only beat reporter in attendance and just <laughs> was really not happy with my presence there. And so I got a nice ass-chewing after arguably the biggest win – not arguably, that was the biggest series win of that season. They literally saved their season. Like Tate Blackman lost the game – not lost the game – they lost the game, and Tate Blackman is like wearing the hard hat after the third game. They knew their work there was done, but that did not stop number five from waddling out and uh, Noogie and the uh, only reporter in attendance. So,
1: wait, wait. What what was Mike upset about?
0: That – so, remember SEC country blasting yeah. the past? Yeah. So, our, when SEC country was like, we're going to cover the hell out of these teams, and they had sure. three beat reporters. And sure. literally all three of them for Arkansas showed up to this game, which I was like, this – I mean, I get, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but this, this is ridiculous. So they would have two guys go to Van Horn and one guy go to Mike. And the guy, the Arkansas guy that was responsible for getting quotes for Mike beat me down to the field. And there was no formal press conference at that time. So he basically has his own press conference with Mike. And then he walks off. And I guarantee I caught the tail end of it. And, of course, I started asking Mike about the game. And, of course, the questions are going to overlap. And he's like, I just answered this from that guy. I was like, Mike, I'm in the stands. Like, I, I didn't hear you answer any of this. And that he, he could not comprehend the fact that just because some other guy that had asked him that before when I was not sitting there, that I, by osmosis, could not have gained that information in those quotes. That's what he was mad about. It wasn't the questions. It was the fact that he had to repeat himself because he doesn't have an ego at all.
1: Very rational. Very rational.
0: Oh, I was I, – I, I finally – I was like, this man has just won a series that has changed his entire season, and he wants to noogie me for having to talk to himself twice. Like, glad I spent the – excuse me, glad I spent Chuck Rounds of what's money to come up here. Anyway, not the point, not to go on a mic tangent. Where are we going with this? We've now gotten off on a tangent. I really am living the 2017 Beat Reporter life. I stayed my last night at a Motel 6, but I'm not going to get into that today.
1: Um, we, we were just talking about Drew McChange's versatility. Yeah,
0: sorry. So, gut feeling who goes on Sunday. I still think it's Diamond, but you, I do too. you raised an interesting point.
1: I, I I think it's Diamond. I just kind of thought it was interesting that you would and, – and maybe – look, it may have been a situation, too, where, hey, you haven't scored through, what, like four innings. Um, We can't lose this game, so McDaniel has to keep pitching. It may have been that, too, so who knows. I, I just thought it was interesting that you probably – I'm not going to say for sure burn him on Friday, but I, I would be shocked if he's fully available on Friday.
0: Yeah, I agree. And not to ruin the Friday pod, because we are going to rerecord on a Friday and discuss this series. But the last thing I'll pose to you is, and we'll we'll scratch this on the surface and hit it later on the Friday podcast. But one, I would argue this is the wrong decision if that is the case. I am a, a kind of a full-on Drew McDaniel stand in terms of him being the best option for the rotation. But on top of that – and not that Mike cares about message boards. He doesn't read anything that's not a print newspaper. So the fact that I was on the internet made it even more surprising that he yelled at me. Maybe that's why he yelled at me because he was just confused as to how I existed. Um, Cause I don't think Mike has had the, I think Mike Bianco got the internet in 2019 before they went to Hoover and that changed everything. But at the same time, if you're talking about like managerial decisions and taking heat, which I know he's not necessarily worried about, if you start Drew McDaniel and he throws a dud, it's kind of like, okay, whatever, we tried it. I guess we'll go back to Diamond, which I don't think you do. But if Diamond sucks, it's like, why did you do this again? And I think there's yeah. some merit in that. Like, why would you I, to try the guy?
1: Yeah, I, I think Diamond's at the end of his leash, though. I don't think he gets to suck on Sunday. Uh, I, I That's not, you know, sourced or anything. But you don't, you don't get to suck uh, two weekends in a row and, you know, have the non-conference that he did. So um you know so he, he's he got to be better for sure on on sunday if if he wants to stay in the rotation
0: we'll get all that on friday but i just thought it was an interesting point i thought the point you brought up about like okay he's burned for friday why would you do that um was an interesting one as well um any kind of final all-encompassing thoughts i know this was a tim elko injury podcast and we have still managed to go an hour over one story line which
1: no, it's tends just – a...
0: We turn on a mic and start shooting the shit about baseball, and we end up two hours later. Like, the other night, like, I would, I told MC I would go watch, like, some show with her. I was like, Colin and I are going to record. I'll be done in an hour. And then, like, 2-12 later, like, I walked in the room she's asleep. And same <laughs> thing happened with Borky earlier. I was like, can I keep you for 45 minutes? And Borky and I went, literally, like an hour 50, but tends to happen. But, anyway, floor is yours. Any all-encompassing thoughts on that? Oh,
1: no, I, I'm – I'm interested to see how they replace him. Um, and, and I mean that from a physical presence. I don't mean that from a statistical perspective. Um, we'll see. It's, uh, it's a tough situation. I expect – I'll say this. I expect John Rice Plumlee to get one start at least this weekend, and that moves Kevin Graham into first base. Um, I think Cale Baker gets a start. I'm not sure if I think LaFleur gets a start or not. I, I do think they'll split up the roles as far as his replacement from a physical presence.
0: Would agree with that. I think I set John Rice Plumlee's over under at one and a half starts last weekend in Thursday's newsletter, and I lost. I took the over, but I don't necessarily feel wrong about it. If you set it at one and a half this weekend, you go over under.
1: I go under uh, just because I think they want to play him against left-handed pitching, and I think they'll start him on Sunday. Uh, But you know that. That's just a guess. I I won't be shocked if I'm wrong in that either.
0: They won eight to one tonight. What did uh did anyone do anything special? How did they score eight runs? It just uh they all scored yes. eight runs.
1: I'll be full full disclosure. I didn't watch pitch, so I had the uh, the whole stat broadcast up.
0: Well, I'm sure the uh, the headline from the media relations would be that they scored 28 runs in two days, and not that their best hitter is on the shelf. But be that as it may um before you get out of here you got your second microchip so tell both oh. hello how have you been feeling
1: uh miserable so i got the vaccine the second one on monday night or monday during the day at 320 and then i coached a baseball game that night and i was fine and then about 11 o'clock that night i woke up like out of my sleep and i could not go back to sleep and i was just miserable all day on tuesday so if you uh if you are getting the vaccine your second one, uh, just prepare to maybe take a day off work because uh, it was a nightmare for me. Absolute nightmare. But I'm glad I have it, obviously.
0: Yeah, obviously, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, they're going to be able to track your every movement now.
1: And, <laughs> That's fine. They're going
0: to be able to do that with your iPhone, obviously. But the fact that you got the injection, I mean, that now you're screwed. Bill Gates is going to know what you're doing at
1: all times. My, my FBI agent has to be so bored.
0: To I, told you, I <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. It's like, what is this kid watching on Thursday? Who is this? Um, yeah, I, that's what I was saying. Like the other, I was at work the other day, and one of my coworkers, you know, apparently there's like an incognito deal you can do when you type in web addresses or whatever on your work computer. Right? Yeah, on any computer. But there, she was like, you don't use incognito. I was like, yeah. I don't go to any questionable websites. Like if, <laughs> if, if the man upstairs on the fourth floor in IT wants to like crack me on something, it's because I looked at too much Twitter. But like outside <laughs> of that, like I don't have anything to hide. I don't need to go incognito with my web browsing. So when I get the vaccine, my FBI agent is going to be super bored and probably super annoyed. One one last note before we get out of here. I just looked up the box score. I was asking you who hit or whatever. Look at this. Are you ready for this? Sure. Justin Bench, zero hits. Yeah. Peyton Chatney, zero hits. Kevin Not Grant, it. zero hits. Not great. Trey LaFour, oh, he, he was a pinch runner. No, he's a pinch hitter, took a walk, zero hits. Kate well, Sam, zero hits. Um, Hayden Dunhurst, zero hits. Knox Leposter, zero hits. How in the world did this team score any <laughs> runs? Jacob Gonzalez had three hits. And as best I can tell, is Ben Van Cleve had one? Yeah, McCants had three. Kale Baker had one, and Hayden Leatherwood had one. But you had one, two, three, four, four and a half between the two pitchers. You basically had five starters not getting a hit tonight. He gets awkward. He scored eight. Runs. I don't make anything of this, no, but if you just look at this box score off the naked eye, you're like, wait a minute, what the hell? Because the way it's <laughs> outlined, you had Jacob and Gonzalez with three hits, and the next one, two, three, four, five, six guys all registered zero, excuse me, seven, eight, seven guys, and the box score registered zero hits. How does that work?
1: Yeah, no, that is that is a little weird. I mean, I, I expected kind of a low-energy performance just because, uh, you know, yesterday sucked. And today sucked when you found out the news. So you know, just as long as I got out of there with a win, I, I kind of have a hard time reading too much. But it is kind of valid, like they don't score for four innings, and it's like well, at some point, are y'all going to score? And then they did. So credit to them; they pitched extremely well too. Thought Braden Forsythe. Um, I listened to Mike Mike's post game. Kind of sounds like they may find him a role again pretty soon.
0: Which we always talked about would probably be the case. We talked, you know, he struggled early on in the year, and we was like, he needs to go to the midweek for quote unquote a while. But that was not a guy you're going to ditch and just be like, you can't use him. We, I mean, that was something we kind of – from the get-go we said, like, okay, he probably needs to go into low-leverage situations where it doesn't matter for a while, but they're going to need him at some point. And, like, that kind of fits up with the timeline. It's April 10th. Like, that, that's – you talk about it stepping up and the bullpen even being better than it is. And I know we're trying to make connections maybe where they aren't there. But you talk about the pitching staff being better in Elko's absence. Having an effective rate and foresight goes a long way with that you talk about the bridge guy we spoke about last week. Uh, hello.
1: Yeah, that would, uh, that would certainly play. You have a guy with some, some velo that it's able to give you an inning to get it to Broadway. That would, that would certainly help the cause.
0: It's, uh, it is getting late. We have turned this into a full podcast. Who the hell cares? It's more content for you folks. Colin and I will be back at it on Friday, of course, um, with the Mailbag Friday slash Arkansas Preview podcast. A lot of interesting stuff going on with this team. Sucks for Tim Elka. Hope he gets to come back and hit at some point. I kind of have my doubts about as to whether that will actually happen. But hey, we'll uh we'll see where this goes. But dude, I appreciate you joining me on last minute's notice. Go back and go back to sleep until Bill Gates tells you to wake up.
1: Sounds good, my man.
0: Everybody have a safe and happy win. <coughs> we will uh we'll be back at it on Friday.